HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. It's a very hot day in Brooklyn. It's about 90-some degrees, and I'm really glad for one that I'm not sitting or standing in a kitchen right now in a restaurant, perhaps behind those pizza ovens here at Roberta's, um, and uh, thankfully in an air-conditioned radio station. Um, so my guest today, um, you know, going back a little bit, we've heard... Um, you know, a number of industries that are struggling with gender disparity, um, perhaps business, tech. And um, this book happens to chronicle or, and really examine very closely um, the, gender dispar- the gender inequality of women chefs in the professional kitchens. So my guest today um, has written a book called Taking the Heat, Women Chefs and Gender Inequality in the Professional Kitchen. She is a, an associate professor of, t- of sociology at Texas State University, and she's on the line. It's Deborah Harris. How are you? Hi, Kathy. Hi, I'm fine. Thank you so much. And um, really wonderful, interesting, um, eye-opening, and exhaustive study that you've written here, um, along with your co-author, Patty Gouffray. Gouffray, yeah. Gouffray. Um, so um, let me just talk a little bit about yourself, because you're, you're studying sociology. Uh, what mm-hmm. brought you to the professional kitchen um, industry? Well, I wish I had a more sort of academic answer, but mm-hmm. I was really um, inspired by Top Chef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So a few years ago, um, when I was first starting out as a professor, um, one of my little rituals is I would always sit down and watch Top Chef whenever it was on. And mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge foodie, but um, I just remember really clearly um, one year when they're in Miami, uh, they did one of those little um, those cooking challenges where 
they did the fake out on the chefs, as they do on that show, if you've mm-hmm. ever watched it. Mm-hmm. And they told them, hey, we're not going to cook tonight for Top Chef. You guys are going to go out. We're going to treat you to a night on the town. So everyone got dressed up. Turned out it was a surprise, and they're actually taking them to cook at some food trailers outside of some nightclubs. Okay. And so you had all these chefs, you know, in their going out clothes, um, having to run through supermarkets, plan menus. And at that point, a woman hadn't won, um, and the, but there are three women left in the competition um, for that season, and they're all really angry about having to cook while wearing makeup <sighs> and wearing high heels and. Wow. I just remember one of the women chefs saying, I never let my male colleagues see me this way. And mm. I thought that's so strange. But then it occurred to me that, you know, hey, in a male-dominated job, I bet, you know, being very feminine might make you not fit in. And so that could be a problem. And that led me to think, you know, hey, I don't know of any women chefs. I could name a few men chefs, even though I wasn't a foodie, um, but I couldn't think of any women. And... When I approached my colleague, Patty Giuffray, about this, we started talking and saying, you know, if there's any job that you think women would be able to sort of burst through and, you know, get a foothold in, you'd think it would be cooking because mm-hmm. you think of that being a woman's job <laughs> at home. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, yeah, but it's actually pretty rare. Only about 20% of head and executive chefs are women. I thought that was really eye-opening because, you know, in this, uh, I guess, you know, surrounded by foodies and, you know, the gastronomy, whatever, media, food, and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, we see a lot of female chefs um, here and there, but um, I... I don't think anyone's that surprised that there are fewer mm-hmm. uh, female head chefs or chef de cuisine mm-hmm. um, than male in America. But I thought it was really interesting that you found out that there's even uh, a fewer ratio of those than there are female CEOs in business. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, there's so much, you know, with the whole sort of Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In. Yeah. There's been so much attention to women's underrepresentation in the boardroom. And strangely enough, there's actually more women in the boardroom than the kitchen when you look professionally. That's yeah. just strange. Yeah. And so I, I, obviously, like, there's been a lot of strides in, in uh, mm-hmm. business professions, but uh, in kitchens, it seems like a, a really backward <laughs> sort of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously, this book is um, a long ex- uh, examination of the answers to that, but... Would you be able to perhaps in like, uh, I don't know, three or four bullet points, like kind of yeah. point out one of the, some of the main reasons for that? Yeah. Well, there, one of the things is that there's just not one reason, mm-hmm. which makes it kind of hard to address. Um, yeah. One is just the, um, the history of the career itself. You know, early chefs had to really, you know, we're talking about the French nobility. They had to set themselves apart from the cooking of women. Okay. So that sort of set up this culture where men's cooking is seen as better. Um, and then today what we see is that there's a lot of just very male-dominated kitchen cultures, and that makes it hard for women to fit in like, and to become leaders. Like in the workplace itself, yeah. the yeah, working that culture. individual restaurant, huh. yeah. A very macho culture. Yeah. And then the final thing we found that was really interesting, um, well, and then that macho culture also so plays into the media and who gets the most press, right. which, you know, is really useful for your career. And then finally, which is that it's a career that's really difficult to balance work and family. And because we women tend to take on more of the family responsibilities, it's really incompatible to work the hours um, and for the pay and the benefits that, that most chefs work for. Um, and still be a mom and and have a family. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, that sounds very, very clear um, when you Mm -hmm. break it down that way. Um, 
so you also write um, in the beginning, uh, the introduction, that there was um, a female-focused uh, chef awards that was introduced mm-hmm. in 2013. And then a lot of people took to Twitter to criticize it because, you know, why should we have a separate award mm-hmm. for the for the best chef, the best female chef? Like, isn't that insulting? Like, calling somebody a lady scientist or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Um, but do you, I mean, do you feel now, um, after doing all the research that you have, that that is a positive thing? Or? You know, that is, that's a really great question. You know, when I first started, I definitely see that. I love your example of, you know, best lady scientist, which, <laughs> which sounds really funny. You know, I yeah. think we would all cringe at that. But um, you know, as we looked into this, I think, you know, we came away with, for a lot of times when women are in, not just chefs, but when women are in other male-dominated fields, there's so much pressure to sort of go after the male model and try to fit into that and to try to assimilate and, you know, defeminize and, you know, try to make sure that people don't see you as different. And, and that can be helpful, but there also is something to be said about sort of embracing the idea that, yeah, there are women chefs and maybe they can be different in some ways, you know, but that could be a positive. And we found that, you know, especially with being a chef, a creative career, the media is so so powerful these days mm-hmm. in the opportunities that are afforded yeah. to chefs. So I think those awards are good because at the end of the day, you are getting media attention. You, know, you are getting people to hear about your food and hear about your, your cooking and make them want to come and learn more. So I think you know, when you're looking at both the business and the artistic part of being a chef, I think attention is good attention, right, you know, and even right. if it's a gender-specific award. Right. Now, you write that early on, sort of in like the French gastronomical days, the times of Briette um, or Escoffier and mm-hmm. so forth, um, a lot of the writing was done by men itself. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the food media today? Do you think that that has any... any um, well, it has, I'm sure, a lot of impact on which chefs we celebrate, mm-hmm. but did you find anything, um, like, I don't know, like about the breakup of men and female food media members? Oh, yeah. Well, I think uh, we don't really necessarily look at what the chefs themselves are creating, but some of the things we just come across is, again, the um, that men tend to be sort of shown as sort of the masters and the educators, mm-hmm. and that does you know date back to sort of the French um, chefs of the aristocracy, you know, sort of showing that, you know, we know so much and we're going to educate people. We tend to see women chefs um, and just women writing in food in general, it tends to take more of a more of a softer approach, more of the, you know, I'm not the expert up on this pedestal, but more like, let me teach you something. You know, let yeah. me show you something. Let me share something with you. Right. Instead of the, I'm the expert you know, worship at my feet thing. Oh, speaking of which, and there was, I love the whole um, history that you go through of mm-hmm. um, chefs um, in this book. And uh, I was just, I had like a lightning bolt moment when you wrote um, in uh, one section. If you if you don't mind, could I read from it? Sure, go ahead. Great. Um, so you write, gender and cooking has been intricately intricately linked for as much of human history that is usually uh, taken form in of women's cooking being associated with routine maternal care work that nourishes family members 
In contrast, men's cooking has long been viewed as more high status and important. Some of the first men to cook publicly were men working for ancient Egyptian royalty. This form of cooking was professionalized via the priest class, who engaged animal sacrifices to their gods involving the preparation and cooking of meat. These priests were able to link their food handling and preparation to the, to the divine and garner powerful positions in society. Therefore, their cooking was given special status and was elevated above the ordinary, everyday cooking of women. And I was just blown away because, you know, thinking about this more special kind of ritualized mm -hmm. cooking for sacrifice, not necessarily to sustain people. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it just um, reminds me of, of a lot of... Uh, things about haute cuisine, which they're not necessarily to, you know, a tasting course menu at per se or something like that isn't mm -hmm. really meant to to make you survive yeah. and not it's hungry. A, <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's a great parallel. I mean, it is meant to be an occasion and a mm -hmm. special elevated thing versus, you know, the everyday, you know, getting food on the table. So the loftier sort of purpose mm -hmm. behind the cooking is, is mm -hmm. has separated the, the gender um, I guess, uh, the gendered cooking throughout the ages. Yeah, I mean, and it really did help early chefs. I mean, you, you have to think about the earliest chefs, they're just seen as servants. I mean, they really were not seen as, oftentimes they're drafted out of the military. Um, so they weren't seen as, as what we see chefs today mm -hmm. as, as these new rock stars. <laughs> and so they had to really work at getting status to their job. You know, so a lot of what they had to do is cut down sort of the work, the everyday work of women oh. cooking in the home so that what they were doing was seem like, you know, that's this everyday thing. Women do it out of love for their family because they have to. We do this art. We do this thing that's educated and you need special training and apprenticeships. You know, it's very different from everyday cooking. And so that helped bring up chefs, you know, along sort of the, the occupational hierarchy. But at the same time, it really denigrated women's cooking Mm -hmm. And sort of that, that sort of stain got on to women who wanted to cook professionally. They, they would still be associated with the home cooking that's not very valued. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And, and, you know, it is true that it's only a, a few, uh, I don't know, like a couple generations away that we didn't have such uh, celebrity chefs in the media like we do today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so uh, this study is, is actually fairly new, although you do write about one of the first celebrity chefs um, in France around the uh, 17th or 18th, 18th century, and a man named Carrier? Or yeah, you talk, we talk about Carrier yeah, and his um, work with, you know, again, there were, chefs were seen as servants, but there were a few that had these loftier sort of, you know, let's look at myself as being someone who... You could create these wonderful artistic yeah. things. And so Carame's work was very much these beautiful showpieces. I mean, it would take, you know, dozens of underchefs for him to, to do mm -hmm. these creations. Um, you know, very different from what we see today because, you know, with the work of Escoffier, which is sort of a, you know, followed Carame's work, so mm -hmm. um, August Escoffier, he was more about let's come up with these, you know, menus that are replicable, that we could replicate and have in a restaurant and actually, you know, get some butts in the seats and serve them every night. And mm -hmm. so we've seen this big movement from these big grand things to um, also the idea of chefs marrying the idea of being both an artist and a business person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, reading about Karim, Karim's, uh yes. story, it sounded like 
he was a guy who really took himself seriously and believed in something that he wanted to prove that mm-hmm. didn't really exist before. Yeah, um, yeah. And I wonder if um, a woman would have even had that position to to try to take her work seriously in 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 cuisine and uh, you know if anyone would hear i wonder if there was mm-hmm. anyone out there like yeah. who just didn't get recorded or something yeah. oh, oh, oh definitely yeah. i mean i'm sure there there were women doing you know wonderful cooking but at the time you know so much of and one of the reasons we know these men's names is that they were able to write books mm-hmm. um and some of them that are still read today but women were not as i said earlier you know writing these books where they were these experts um yeah. And so some of these early French chefs, you know, some of the work that they did, you know, they're able to sort of capitalize on their knowledge and say, okay, sometimes we can. So they would even write some books that were meant to um, educate these women, you know, these sort of simple home cooks of Mm -hmm. women. So, yeah, it would have been really hard, I think, um, because of the, um, you know, just the, the gender Wow. Arrangements at that time. So yeah. many parallels to today. And uh, it's really yeah. fascinating to look at how this um, inequality throughout the ages has really manifested in, in what we're mm-hmm. seeing today um, in the workforce. Um, yeah. uh, much to be talked about, um, but we're going to cut to a quick little musical interlude and we'll be right back chatting more with you, Deborah. listening to The Landing. This is called Write It Down. This is Eat Your Words on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Listening to Eat Your Words, and my guest today is Deborah A. Harris, the author, co-author of Taking the Heat. Um, so, Deborah, so um, this book, um, you write um, a lot of things that kind of surprised me and kind of made me a little disappointed in ourselves as a food media. <laughs> so, um, you know, the the idea um, in one section, you talk about. Um, no great women chefs. Um, mm-hmm. You know this. This feeling that it seems to be a little bit pervasive amongst the food media um, that giving more coverage to women, uh, women chefs would be seen as sexist. And, um, you know, if there's no great chefs that who are, happen to be women, then then we're not going to force it and write about them or have as much representation. Um, and that was expressed by a couple of um, uh, editors that you spoke to. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, we didn't actually speak to the editors. These were mm-hmm. um, statements they had made in other uh, media outlets. Okay, to journalists, uh, right. Yeah. Um, this all came about from a couple of years ago. Time Magazine did a Gods of Food issue. Mm-hmm. And as the name implies, there were it was a lot of men and really One. basically no uh, coverage of women <laughs> chefs at all. Right. Yeah. And then when they're kind of called out about it, a lot right. of people sort of, you know, jumped on that and they, they called them out um, and they defended themselves. They and other publications 
um, you know, said, listen, you know, we don't want to sort of pander or treat women, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to give them that special treatment. If people were talking about women chefs, we'd definitely cover them, but they were really ignoring just the ways that these networks, um, you know, if they're very much one gender, you know, mm-hmm. if everyone works together and you see the same number, the same names being sort of popped up again and again and again, it's you really don't ever see anyone different. And so these women sort of get ignored um, you know, in that process. It brings up a really tricky, I guess, debate, mm-hmm. which goes yeah. back to celebrating. Should we celebrate women chefs as a separate entity mm-hmm. um, than men? Because, um, it, you know, it brings up, you know, should we judge on basically the quality of the food as we deem it? Or maybe that view is slanted after all we've learned about the different attitudes of um, the cooking uh, the, or cooking styles, I guess, hot mm-hmm. versus home throughout the years. It's so ingrained, it seems, mm-hmm. in the roles. So yeah. um, it's interesting to see how that has reflected today. Mm-hmm. Um, so also reading this book, there's um, a lot of talk about how difficult it is for women um, in the workplace um, and, and trying to stand up and assert yourself in the kitchen mm-hmm. and not be seen as girly or bitchy or mom like Mm -hmm. um sounds very similar to well i didn't actually read lean in but i you know read a lot about it yeah um (laughs) yeah yeah i mean would you say that this is a very similar uh i I guess a struggle that is happening for women um of being seen and recognized and and not being stereotyped as certain uh very unflattering types (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we talked to some of the women chefs themselves, and, and what they say really does align really well with women in all sorts of other fields. Right. But um, you have to, when you become a leader, you know, there's really this fine line. And, you know, if you take on this sort of masculine role that people tend to think of, you know, it's very hierarchical. You know, if you think of someone who's a manager, and if you think of sort of that, you know, hardline manager who's very hierarchical, um, who, you know, they're the boss and they sort of tell the orders and you're just supposed to fall in line behind them. You know, women would get really, um, they're very negatively sanctioned that way. You know, mm-hmm. then they would get labeled as, as being bitchy. Um, but then if they tried to be a kinder, nicer boss, you know, they could get walked over very mm. much and people wouldn't respect them. Yep. So Sounds... it was really, so that, that really aligns really well with a lot of other uh, research. Sounds um, familiar. And, yeah, and the women themselves were aware of this, and it was, and it also becomes this almost other type of um, labor that they have to do. I mean, as you're doing all the the all the multiple things you have to do as a chef, from you know cooking to management to press, all the other you know a hundred things that's running through your mind at one time after you've been standing on your feet for twelve hours. These women also had to think about, well, when I told that guy to get this dish, did I sound like a bitch? Like this extra sort of layer that women have to work with that men, you know, don't have to worry about censoring themselves as much. Wow. So it's like over, it's, it's even more work. um, Yeah. That they have to overcome. So you you did talk to um, in creating your research, you, Mm -hmm. you did a extensive content analysis, as you mentioned about, pieces of journalism in the public, um, publications, that is. And um, you also interviewed more than 30 female chefs who have mm-hmm. had the, a role of an executive or a yeah. head chef. Mm-hmm. 
Um, how did you find these folks? Just yeah. curious. Well, um, the majority of ones, so we were doing qualitative research. So we were really not trying to do a big survey of women chefs because that would be really hard to, to find them and, and do that. We yeah. really want in-depth information, like tell us all throughout your career what had happened right. and, and your experiences. And so um, we started in the area where we are um, in Texas, and so we started looking at food-related um, Media. So we started looking at restaurant reviews and profiles um, in papers in Central Texas. Um, at, and then once we would identify a few women, we'd say, hey, are there other women that you know? And so we'd sort of do what's called a snowball sample. And so okay. they would recommend friends or people they had uh, met professionally. And so that's how we curve it expanded out. Um, okay. So the women are all from Central Texas, but they have a lot of um, – Many of them had worked all over the country, so they're able to speak about things sort of you know, right. nationally. Yeah, yeah. That, sounds, that makes sense. Um, do you find that um, there's any women chefs who are particularly navigating the struggles um, well and might be seen as a role model for um, you know, standing up for themselves, um, gaining respect, and maybe balancing work and life and family? A bit. Well, yeah. Well, amongst the women that we talked to, so some of the participants that we spoke with, um, there were definitely. I mean, I really came away. Uh, you know, I came away from this with so much respect for these women. I mean, they do this incredibly physically demanding but very creative job at the same time, and um, they they're so passionate about what they did. I mean, they love food. They lived and breathed food, and they. Um, you know, we're just so passionate about it. It's hard to walk away without sort of feeling that same level of emotion. Um, so I think the ones that um, really sort of took this, you know, they're all very strong. And so those were the ones I really admired, the women who came in and were very much, you know, this is who I am, this is my personal, how I feel about things. So mm-hmm. um, even if it'll be rocking the boat a little bit, if I see something like harassment, I'm going to call it out. If I see yeah. something like mistreatment, I'm going to call that out. And I really respected the women who said that, you know, when they became management, when they were sort of able to break through and become, you know, executive chefs themselves, that they may, they purposely tried to make a more humane kitchen. Mm -hmm. They tried to be more caring towards their families uh, of the people that they worked for. Um, Well, basically, they would look at their employers uh, excuse me, their employees, and they'd say, you know, you're more than just a worker. You also have family needs. And they try to be cognizant of that. And so I think the women that, you know, they had gone through sort of the mm. hazing process, <laughs> and they made it a point to say that's not the way it has to be. Right. You know, we can be more cooperative. We don't have to be competitive or macho. And we can, you know, if I get upset with someone, I don't have to throw a pan and scream at someone. I can explain what the problem is and tr- actually train you instead of scream at you. That sounds like a, a very successful model, like, overall, just for any boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we found that the women themselves, I mean, and I think we see this across the whole industry, not mm-hmm. just women. I mean, chefs today, you know, want to be seen as professionals. They don't want to be seen as, you know, a bunch of hashlingers. You know, they want that almost sort of white-collar sort of respect. And so if you're screaming and yelling and throwing food and and coming in hungover, you know, you don't get that as much. Right. Absolutely. Um, So I wonder, um, do you think, or perhaps did any of the women that you interviewed think that if there were more representation, um, it was more sort of normal to see female top chefs or head chefs, Mm -hmm. um, that they wouldn't have to deal with some of these discrimination and stereotypes that they that they deal with, it would be more accepted? Mm-hmm. Well, 
the women we talked to, they kind of had a love-hate relationship with the depiction of chefs in the media. Okay. Uh, on one hand, they said that it's really not, um, you know, the Gordon Ramsay's that you see, that's not really reality. Yeah. And they also, but on the other hand, though, they also felt like sometimes some of the Food Network shows and things like that, they really showed just the pretty side of being a chef. They didn't talk about the hard labor. So... On one hand, they kind of were like, this is not really realistic. But they also were really happy when they would see more women um, in the media because they felt that that was bringing more attention to all of them and showing that, you know, women can do this really physically um, and mentally demanding career. Yeah, and it's um, it's nothing strange. It's hopefully mm-hmm. less less and less um, challenging over the, over yeah. time. Um, I wanted to ask, like, how far have we come from mm-hmm. these stereotypes? But I, I realize that it's fairly new. Would you say mm-hmm. um, this this phenomenon of uh, well, celebrity chefdom? Yeah, <laughs> in itself, um, because. Chefs were seen before as, you know, manual labor. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, my question would be, like, where do we go from here? Um, yeah. How can we help um, support um, more more equality in, yeah. in the workplace? Well, I think, um, you know, what you're saying is correct, is that there it is a fairly recent phenomenon, the whole idea of being a celebrity chef. And that actually does have... Um, it offers a lot of opportunities for women because mm-hmm. they can sort of help shape what it means to be a celebrity chef. So I think if women chefs, um, one of the things we recommend in the book is for women chefs to sort of band together. Uh, there are several um, groups around the country. Um, there's La Danse des Scossiers, which is a group for women in the culinary field. It's not just about women chefs, but also food writers, etc. cetera. Um, there's several organizations for women in the culinary field, and um, if women sort of band together, they can create more of a media presence. They can sort of come together and realize that they're not alone in the things they experience. Um, so some of these networks, the old boy networks, you know, they can kind of create their own mm-hmm. um, through that. Yep. And so that can be really good. And as, as diners, as people who follow the food world, I think, um, you know, making a point to eat at a restaurant with women mm-hmm. chefs. Um, Bloomberg News did some story, and they found that um, – some of the restaurant groups that if they had more women chefs in these restaurant groups, you know, sort of at the head of these restaurants, they would hire more women themselves. So really, you know, wow. giving a lot of um, attention and a lot of, um, you know, giving your business to women like April Bloomfield, right. who has women working under her and doesn't, you know, buy into this like, oh, if there's one woman in the kitchen, there can only be one. <laughs> Um, you know, so sort of seeking them out and, and seeing what women have to offer yeah. would be great. You know, that's a really important reminder that we're all part of this sort of like tastemakers mm-hmm. um, yeah. as the public and and um, by patroning these restaurants that we all have, yeah. um, you know, some measure of uh, helping helping them succeed and supporting yeah. them. Um, and, and no doubt your book hopefully unveils a lot of those um well, a lot of issues today. So congrats to that. And hopefully that'll help people understand more um, the different challenges. Um, one last question, I guess. Um, do you have any favorite? You just mentioned April Bloomfield. But do you have mm-hmm. any favorite sort of pioneering uh, chef de cuisine? A lady well, chef? <laughs> you know, myself, I just um, I kind of have a little bit of a I just am enamored with the work. I'm a huge sweet tooth. Okay. I have a huge sweet tooth. So, like, Christina Tosi, every couple of yeah, months I'll break her. out something. And then all my friends will get something from, like, one of her um, 
one of her recipe books. So oh, cool. I love her work, and I have spent many hours trying to replicate them to varying degrees of success. That is super cool. Great example, too. Very, very creative chef, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are kind of following her cues in the, oh, in the yeah. world of pastry. So very exciting stuff. All right, Deborah, um, thank you so much for joining us, and I can't wait to share more insights and, and over the dinner table as conversation perhaps from your book so thank you so much for investigating this thank you so much for having me so nice to have you and thanks everyone at heritage we'll see you next week on eat your words Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.